Well, good morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and Venue. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 be our passage this morning. This morning uh, and next week, we're going to do a uh, um, kind of a mini-series, two-part series called A Life at Peace. And we're going to address issues like worry and anxiety and fear. Uh, and how is it as, as Christians, because of our understanding of the gospel, uh, how does that free us uh, from those struggles? And so very hopefully uh, helpful and practical series. Then starting the first weekend of July for the rest of the summer, uh, kind of our main summer series, I'm going to do a series on the seven churches uh, in the book of Revelation, right? Yeah, I know. So uh, uh, some of you are like really excited about that. And others of you might be like, why in the world do I want to show up to study seven churches in the book of Revelation? Well, what you'll find there is um, these churches really are helpful as a gauge or kind of a compass, if you will, to help us as a church and as an individual Christian to make sure we're staying on the right path, the right track as a follower of Christ. So it's going to be very practical and very helpful, uh, and it's revelation. All right, so there's enough incentive right there. So uh, this morning, however, we're going to start a life at peace uh, here on Father's Day intentionally, because what I want to show you the next few moments is this. You and I will never have a life at peace until we learn to relate to God as Father. You with me? We're never going to have a life at peace until we learn to relate to God as Father. And I want to show you that in Matthew chapter 6. If you're able in all of our locations to please stand for the honor of reading God's Word, let's pick up at verse 25. Matthew 6 verse 25. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, will drink, about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you pray with me and for me now as we ask God to speak to us? What a joy it is, Heavenly Father, to be uh, gathered together now uh, to hear from your word. Uh, we don't care anything about the words of a man. We do care about the words of God. 
So Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Speak into our hearts. Uh, This issue is something every single one of us either is currently or will at some point struggle with. So give us freedom. Give us truth. Speak to us. Transform us by the power of the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We found their transition from orphanage to family to be more difficult than we supposed. Uh, Those are the words actually of of a seminary professor of mine and really a mentor in my life many years ago as he wrote an article uh, in Touchstone Magazine about he and his wife's experience adopting two boys from Russia. It's a very gripping account and and what I want to do because it provides a great context for our passage, I want to share just a summary of what he wrote. Quote, When we first walked into the orphanage, we almost vomited at the stench. The boys were in their cribs, in the dark, lying in their own waste. Leaving them at the end of the day was painful, but leaving them on the final day to wait for the paperwork to go through was the hardest thing we'd ever done. Walking out of the room to prepare for the ride home, we heard Maxim calling out for us, falling down in his crib, convulsing in tears. I walked back to the room, placed my hand on their head, and said, knowing they couldn't understand a word of my English, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, I don't think I intended to cite Jesus' words to his disciples. It just seemed like the only thing worth saying. When we received the call that the legal process was over, we returned to Russia to pick up our sons. But we found their transition from the orphanage to family more difficult than we'd suppose. After nodding our thanks to the orphanage personnel, we walked into the sunlight to the terror of the boys. They had never seen the sun. They never felt the wind. They never heard the sound of a car door slamming or the sensation of being carried along at a hundred miles per hour down a Russian road. I noticed the boys were shaking, reaching back to the orphanage. I whispered to Sergei, now Timothy, that that place is a pit. If only you knew what's waiting for you, a home with a mom and a dad who love you, grandparents, cousins, happy meals. (laughs) But all they knew was the orphanage. We knew the boys had acclimated to our home when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew there would be another meal, and they wouldn't have to fight for scraps. They are now thoroughly Americanized, able to recognize the sound of a microwave ding from 40 yards away. (laughs) But I still remember those little hands reaching for the orphanage, and I see myself there. 
Faith family, I'm gripped every time I read that story. And it's not just because it's a beautiful story of adoption, because it's a beautiful example of the struggle every one of us faces daily as a child of God. Listen to me. We are so accustomed to the orphanage of this world that we cannot comprehend what it's like to rest in the provision of a father. We have been adopted, child of God, by Jesus Christ through Him into the very family of God. And yet our hearts and our hands every day reach back to this world for security. And do you know why that's true of me? Why that's true of you? Do you want to know what that looks like practically? It looks like this. Worry. Anxiety, fear, notice this on the screen, worry is reaching back to the orphanage of this life because we don't trust God to provide. It's our little hands reaching to the world to say, will will you provide for me? How, how will I make rent? Will I make the team? Will she say yes? Will I have another meal? And it's because that's all we've known, and yet we've been brought into the family of our Heavenly Father, and we cannot comprehend what it's like to live under His provision. And here's what I'm here to tell you this morning. Listen, listen. Let me restate that. Here's what Jesus is going to tell us this morning. You will never have a life at peace until you learn to relate to God as Father. That's exactly what he teaches the disciples here in Matthew chapter 6. Now, our passage beginning in verse 25 comes out of the context of Jesus talking about earthly possessions. Look at it in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Uh, Jump down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate one and love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve God and money. So, so right here, Lakeville venue, everybody, Jesus is talking about earthly possessions. Then he shifts out of that in his sermon and talks about anxiety and worry. What's the connection? What's the bridge between that passage and the next? It's very easy to understand. Here's what it is. Because we treasure earthly things, we're filled with worry. Because earthly things rust. They can be destroyed. They can be here one day and gone the next. You'll remember this was the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes. No, I won't let you forget the book of Ecclesiastes. I will keep bringing this up many times. The whole point of the book, if you weren't with us, was this. Uh, Coeleth is trying to find meaning in life under the sun, but he can't find meaning in life under the sun because everything under the sun is temporary. It's rusty. And what Jesus is saying is the reason why you're worried, the reason why you're anxious is because you're treasuring the wrong thing. 
Your heart treasures earthly things. And so out of that, he then condemns or commands against worry. Four times, verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 28, why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Do you see? Jesus, listen, is concerned about a Christian that worries. Now, this idea of being anxious is the idea of getting worked up about something. Uh, It's very hard to translate. It's really the idea of being torn in two or separated in yourself. It's the idea of being absolutely obsessed with something. I need you to listen to this, all right? Lakeville venue, everybody. What happens is something that might actually be a genuine concern becomes an obsession. Do you see? There are things, Jesus is not teaching here some kind of stoic of, okay, I don't care about anything anymore. It's not what he's teaching. He's talking about when a concern becomes consuming, uh, like Scrat uh, from the movie Ice Age. Do you remember this character, right? I mean, he's like obsessed with this nut or this acorn. When, when, when he finds it, uh, he's just obsessed about keeping it. He's so afraid that he's going to lose this thing. And then when he's lost it, he's absolutely consumed about finding it. And he's so obsessed that he ends up spinning around and around and around and around and around. And his life is completely upside down. He's twisted in knots because he's obsessed with this nut. Faith family worry makes you nutty. (laughs) See what I did there, right? You, you have something like that. There is something in the orphanage of this life. There is something in this earth that may be a very good thing, but it has become an ultimate thing for you. And you're worried about it. You're anxious about it. You're obsessed with it. And this is a problem if you're a Christian. You see, we're, we're tempted, I think, at least in my experience, to kind of just minimize worry and anxiety. Oh, she's just a worry wart. Oh, it's just worry. Not according to Jesus. I'm going to give you four reasons why Jesus says worry and anxiety for the Christian is a big problem. You ready? You might jot these down, all right? Number one, the reason why worry is a big... By the way, all of these in the text are questions, so it's very easy to see them in, in the passage. Four issues of why worry is a big, big problem. Number one, worry is forgetful. Worry is forgetful. I take it from verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or will you drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on? Now, here's the question he asked. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This is an argument, faith family, from the greater to the lesser. It goes like this. You were provided with a body, will you not also be provided with clothing? Do you see? The body is greater, clothing that goes on that body is the lesser. Uh, You've been provided a life greater, will you not be provided food to sustain that life lesser? Do you see? 
What Jesus is saying here is worry causes you to forget the big picture. You're so consumed in the little things of life that you've forgotten the big things that have been provided for you. Now, you might push back and say, Pastor, I have a problem with you saying that. Are you telling me that if I'm worried about my own death, that that's a little thing? Absolutely, if you've been promised eternity with God. There is nothing in this life that the things of God are not bigger than. That's a great place for an amen, right? From a lot more than three of you, all right? My point is, as a child of God, you've been given the biggest thing, so you're not to worry about the lesser things, though they may still be very important. We're not minimizing clothing or food. We're just saying keep the big picture in mind of what you have. Here's the second thing. Not just that worry is forgetful, you've forgotten the big picture, but worry is fatherless. You're not functioning in your heavenly Father. I get this from verse 26. Uh, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet what? Your, say it, heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? And here's the difficulty with this passage is because oftentimes what Jesus is referring to in the ancient Near East is very hard to translate exactly into our day. So for instance, the birds that he's referring to is the lowest form of bird. It's a, it's a type of bird that uh, people would not, would not seek after. Uh, and, and so it's kind of like today, like a raven for us. You know, ravens are like rats with wings, all right? I don't know if any of you are bird watchers, but I have never, ever had somebody say to me, you know what I really love to watch is ravens, <laughs> or unless you're like really depressive or something like that, or, or vultures. Oh, I just love to watch vultures. No, you, you, you're after cardinals and robins and, and these, you know, multicolored, beautiful feathers, not uh, ravens. And yet, what Jesus is saying is if your father cares for the lowest form of bird, does he not care for you? But he doesn't just start with birds. He moves on to flowers, right? Anybody like pretty flowers? All right, here we go. Verse 28, why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, uh, will he not much more clothe you? And now, again, the problem is lilies, uh, lilies in those days were not lilies in our day. When I say lily, you may think of something like this, right? But that's not what Jesus is referring to at all. Uh, it's really more like a poppy, uh, something like this. Notice how thin those stems are, how easily it is for those to be destroyed. Uh, in the ancient Near East, what would happen is after a rain, these things would pop up, and then the next day, because of the heat of the sun, would die out. And when they would die and dry up, people would use them for a fire, throw them into the oven. Do you see? The point is simple. Jesus is making an appeal, listen, to the order of creation. 
That is the pinnacle, the climax of creation is humanity, the image bearers of God. There is no flower in God's image. There is no animal in God's image. Human beings are the image bearers of God. So if God cares for the lowest of creation, will he not care for you? You see, dear friends, the greatest offense to God is not the atheist that doubts his existence, but the Christian who doubts his care. That's what Jesus is getting at, because you're functionally acting like you don't have a father. As Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, if you should ask me to state in one phrase... What I regard in most Christian, what I regard as the greatest defect in most Christians' lives, I would say it's this. The failure to know God as Father. Worry is a big problem because it's forgetful. You've forgotten the big picture and it's functionally fatherless. You have forgotten that you have a father that values you and cares for you. Here's the third reason why worry is a big problem for Jesus. Worry is futile. It's futile. Here's the next question, verse 27. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? What good does worry and anxiety do you? Right? It's futile. Uh, there's two reasons why it's futile. The first is it's wasted energy. How many of y'all, Lakeville venue participated, how many of you guys have ever gone through a situation where you were all tied up in knots, you were choked out, you were absolutely obsessed with something, and then later on time passed and you look back at that and say, why did I worry so much? Why did I waste all that energy and all that emotion? When I think about that, I think about uh, my, my dad doesn't like to travel very much. He is happy with small town Tennessee, but my mom likes to get out and see things, and there's things that, that she would love to explore, and so she likes to drop hints uh, to me and my brother, you know, to get us to take her places. Uh, and so uh, one of the places she always wanted to visit was Savannah, Georgia. And so a few years ago, uh, my brother, our families decided we'd do one big family trip to Savannah, Georgia, so that my mom could, could be able to experience that. Well, a little note to self, if you're going to do that, don't do that three weeks before you're supposed to defend your dissertation. Because I'm on vacation in Savannah, Georgia, and my computer that has all my PhD dissertation on that I'm about to defend in three weeks crashes. I know, you should have been me, right? <laughs> I mean, everything before my eyes is crumbling. Months and months and months of hard work. And can I just be honest, as your pastor, you do know I'm human like you, right? I was in abs absolute misery. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't go out to eat with anybody. I sat in the corner and was absolutely miserable because I was worried and tied up in knots over this. We got back. I took the computer to a computer specialist. They were able to pull all those files off, and I did not lose a thing. But I tell you this, I think back on that trip, and I realized how my worry ruined it. It was wasted energy. 
But, you know, deeper than that, it's not just futile because it's wasted energy, but here's what Jesus is really getting at. It's the idea that, that worry is futile because it's wishful sovereignty. When Jesus here says, you're not going to be able to add a single hour to his span of life, this is a reference to Psalm 139, verse 16. Look at it. In your book were written, every one of them, the days formed for me when as yet there was none. Here's the flow of thought, faith family. You're concerned about food because if you don't eat, you're going to die, but God has your days numbered. You're not going to die early or late. God is sovereign over your life. Now, that's not to suggest irresponsibility. It's not to say, hey, good idea. After the service today, go out on I-35 somewhere and just stand there saying, well, God has my days numbered. Come on, traffic. No. That you, the, the Bible says you don't put the Lord your God to the test. What I'm saying is you simply recognize you are not sovereign over your life. God is sovereign over your life. And worry is simply the fruit of you wanting to be sovereign rather than resting in his sovereignty. The reason why some of you are so stressed out is because you're trying to be God. You're trying to rule what is not yours to rule. It's futile. Your worry won't add a week to your life. So there's a better option. There's a better option. Number four, here's the reason why worry is a big problem. It's forgetful. It's fatherless. It's futile. And then lastly, uh, it is faithless. And this may be the biggest sting of all, verse 30. He talks about how the, the grass is clothed. Today it's alive, tomorrow it's thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? And then notice this fourth question. O you of little faith. Now Jesus here mentions the Gentiles in this passage. That is the the, the unbelievers. That's how that is typically used in uh, particularly the New Testament. Gentiles referring to people who are not a part of the family of God. And, and, And here's the point. I can understand why people who do not know God personally worry. What's hard to understand is why children of God do. Because your entire relationship with Him is based on faith. If you're a child of God, you looked at God and said, I trust you with my eternity. I trust you with the salvation of my soul. I trust you with my forever, but I can't trust you for a meal. But I can't trust you for a shirt. Do, 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 Do you see? Your whole relationship with God is a faith relationship. So when you worry, child of God, you are a little faith one. Because your whole relationship is supposed to be on faith. That's how you became a child of God. And that's how you live as a child of God. The righteous live by faith. And so Jesus is saying... 
practice the very essence of our relationship, which is faith. Be a big faith one. In fact, and I say this tongue in cheek, do you want something to worry about? Worriers, here's something to worry about. You ready? Worry about your worry. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? Because in your worry is a sign of unbelief and that should concern you. Like that should be a mirror saying there's something wrong here that I need to believe and I need to trust more. There is an unbelief under the surface of my worry and that should be a concern of mine. So worry about your worry. Just kidding. All right. Just be concerned about your worry. Because worriers, if you're a Christian, are little faith ones. Do you see why this is not, oh, she's just a worrywart? Oh, it's just worry. No, it's actually a big problem. It's condemnable and commanded against. So, what do we do? Here's what you do don't worry. Let's pray. Imagine if we just ended right there. Because what I want you to feel at this point is like, okay, now I get why worry is a big deal, but how do I not worry? I mean, Jesus, you're commanding do not be anxious, so how do I not be anxious? And what I would like to expose first before I give you the answer is ways in which our culture would say that you can overcome worry. There's a lot of different ways people try to do this. And so some people, for instance, will try to overcome worry by this. Don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry, be happy. Now, you're going to be singing that the rest of the day, and you're welcome, by the way. That is, people try to overcome worry by, by pure optimism. Just be more positive. Don't worry, be happy, right? You just need to be a more positive thinking kind of person and you'll overcome worry. Uh, But other people will try things like this. There's a 26% chance of failure. How much further? I don't know, I'm not sure. I never really come this way. We're close. We're close, I know that. Well, now there's a 35% chance of failure. I don't want to know. Thank you. I understand. That is, everything is rational. That there is a 97% success rate for that surgery. Whoo! And I'm going to go to WebMD, and I'm going to find out, okay, there's only a 7% chance that it's that. And what you're trying to do is rationalize your way out of your worry. Oh, well, it's such a small percentage, well, then I won't worry about it. Or other people try to overcome worry by doing this. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double stamp, Lord. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. Lord, Lord, you guys. <laughs> that is just, just distract yourself. Stick your head in the sand. Just ignore the situation. Act like it's not even there. And then there are others who will try to overcome worry by doing this. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. 
That is willpower. Come on, what's wrong with you? You're strong enough. You got enough power. Just stop doing it. Hey, hey, at Berean, we're all about good news. Can I give you some good news? Jesus gives us a better option. I'm not suggesting that being optimistic is bad. I'm not suggesting that looking things up on WebMD is bad. I'm simply saying they will not ultimately remove your worry. What Jesus says will. It will now listen to my language. It will help your worry fade away. I didn't say go away overnight. I'm saying the more that you do these things daily, the more you will defeat worry and anxiety. Here they are, two things. Number one is never lose sight of your father's provision. Never lose sight of your father's provision. This is what Jesus is aiming at in Matthew 6, verse 31 again. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, drink, or wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Now watch. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He is driving them to the fatherhood of God He does this in Luke chapter 11, verse 11 as well. Notice it on the screen. What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, would instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, that is not heavenly, not of God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you understand that your heavenly father will provide for you physically? Uh, Egg, fish in the ancient Near East is just basic food. God is going to provide for your basic needs. Now listen, listen, God is going to do that through means. This isn't, all right, I'm going to go home, I'm going to sit on the couch, and I'm going to wait for a pizza to drop out of heaven, right? No, God has ordained the ends providing for you through means, that is work, money, using your talents, skills, abilities. It is using the things God has provided are the means through which God will provide. Do you see? And not only will he do that physically, he'll do that beneficially. Jesus is saying, um, no good earthly father is going to give his son a snake instead of an egg. His point is simply saying that any good earthly father is going to do what's best for uh, his child. How much more your heavenly father? Can I say something to your heart? Like, Open your heart and hear what I'm about to say. Your heavenly Father has your good in mind. The problem is you think you know what's best for you, but you don't. He created you, and He is your Father. He will do good to you. And then lastly, and above all else, never lose sight of the fact that your Father has provided for you relationally. Jesus says here, He will give us the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Let me give you a couple verses that that will teach us this, and we're almost done. He will provide for us relationally by giving us the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. 
For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out what? Abba, Father. Now watch. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And listen to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Watch this. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In other words, the good news of the gospel is that God so loved the world, He did not spare His Son on the cross so that He might give to you His very Spirit, enabling you for all of eternity to cry out to the God of heaven and earth, Daddy, Abba, Father, Rust will never take that away. Moth will never destroy that. God has not just given you a pantry. He has given you a person. He has given you himself forever. And when we daily rest in that provision, I have a father That Father is the God of heaven and earth. And we live in that provision. Worry starts to fade. Because there's nothing bigger than God. He is a treasure that doesn't rust. Amen? So we have to rest in Him. J.I. Packer says this, What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is a Christian is one who has God as Father. If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child oh, and having God as his or her Father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls our worship, and prayer, and outlook on life, it means we do not understand Christianity very well at all. This is the thought that prompts our worship. What thought? We are His children. Abba. Father. Here's the second and last thing that Jesus says we must do if we want worry to fade. It's not just never lose sight of His provision. And I'll just say this quickly. It's to seek His kingdom as your priority. To seek His kingdom as your priority. It's very simple in the text. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Do you see in the text the positive negative? Lakeville venue, everybody right here. Do not be anxious, negative. But seek first the kingdom, positive. What is Jesus saying? How do you overcome anxiety and worry? You seek his kingdom first, that is, um, ultimately. That there's nothing else greater to you than him. Put, Put this on the screen. Remove worry 
by treasuring God above all else. Remove worry by treasuring God above all else because worry, listen, listen, worry is a war fought on the battlefield of the heart. Worry has everything to do with what you treasure most, which is why Jesus says, hey, earthly things are good, but they're not ultimate. What's ultimate is Him and His kingdom. And if your heart doesn't treasure that, you're always going to be anxious. So fight the fight, Christian, of prioritizing God in your life. Pursue Him, love Him, treasure Him, enjoy Him, think of Him, and then you will be at peace. So the text is summarized this way. When we realize God's provision and we make Him priority, then we will have a life at peace. Isn't that good? Anybody glad you came today? I hope all of you are glad you came today, all right? So let's, let, let's think on this. Let's apply this. Let's absorb this into our life so that we as children of God are at peace. I'm going to leave you with, it, with this question. Since Jesus is asking questions, let me ask you this final question. If we have been adopted as children of God into God's family, and we have, here's the question then why are your little hands reaching back to the orphanage of this world? The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you know why you don't have to worry? Or do you know why you shouldn't worry? It's because you don't have to. You are a part of the family of God, and your Father will take care of you. And all God's people said, amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this truth, uh, the truth of your word. And, and there may be some in this place today that they do not know you as Father because they have never trusted in your Son your son that you did not spare so that you could give us yourself for eternity. If there is one here today that does not know you as father because they have never trusted in the son, I pray that right now they would turn from their sin and put their faith in what Christ has done. There are others in this room, children of God, who have lost sight of your provision in our life. Would we rest in that today? Would we on this Father's Day cry out in the Spirit, Abba, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.